Welcome to the Lentil Intervention Podcast, talking all things movement, whole food nutrition and environmental wellness with your hosts, Ben and Emma. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 25. Uh, We're getting on through the year. My name is Ben Adelberg coming to you from Auckland and Emma Strutt from Boona. Hello, Emma. Hello, Ben. How are you? Um, Very good. Thank you. And um, very excited for today's guest. Now, a little bit of uh, probably a little bit of a challenge for him because he's a very, very visual type person, but a very important uh, guest to have on the show to cover some very, very topical um, sort of elements. So, Emma, I'll uh, hand it over to you. All right. We have Jeff Ray joining us for a chat today. Um, Jeff is a New Zealand nature photographer, a passionate environmentalist and activist who is driven to share stories of the incredible flora and fauna that inhabit this planet. And importantly, he does a brilliant job of conveying the need to protect them. So Jeff contributes to a number of environmental protection organisations and is currently campaigning really hard to raise awareness of the disastrous environmental impacts of intensive winter um, farming in New Zealand. I think this will be an eye-opening discussion. So Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, kia ora team. Thanks for uh, inviting me to be on the show. Now, welcome, Jeff. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, as we've said. Um, let's start off a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and why the passion for the environment. Well, I guess I had a pretty pretty decent upbringing. Um, lots to do in the outdoors. Uh, you know, parents are pretty good at getting us out there and we go for long stints out and camping, you know, with the, with the family and... Yeah, just managed to, I was privileged enough to create, to have that sort of uh, deep connection develop uh, in the young stages of my life I've had. And uh, yeah, I think that's probably where it stems from, being out and, ex- being out and exposed to beautiful, beautiful parts of the country. Um, I also grew up in a pretty urban environment till I was just about a teenager and then we were really uh, lucky to move out of, Auckland city as such and move a bit far, further north to you know we had a lot of bush and a lot of streams and a bit of an estuary to play to play in so get to observe nature and see how it all works. Great and how did you get into wildlife photography and environmentalism? Oh I picked up a camera um, probably about a decade ago I was doing a lot of restoration work conservation work volunteer work and also getting out into the uh, back blocks of the country, you could say, and you know, coming across so many uh, fascinating things. I thought, oh, no one really sort of understood what I was up to. And this is pre phones, really having cameras. So, yeah, I decided to get a camera and start documenting what I was coming across. Now, I've seen some of your many um, amazing content that you've created, and you've got amazing knowledge of of the bush, the wildlife. Did you study down that path or is that just something you've acquired through being out there, literally on the ground and learning? Yeah, I guess that's where the study's taken place, not so much in a, in a building, but more sort of out in the out in the forest. And, you, you know, you come across many interesting people in this country that are dedicated to restore and um, help out our environment. And these types of characters, you know, they're older hands in the game, they just know so much. So soaking up uh, knowledge of... Yeah, these types of people has been key. 
Now, as Emma mentioned, you're involved in a, in a, a broad number of campaigns. Uh, you do work with various organizations, uh, creating content. Uh, what are some of the work you're currently involved in? Um, I'm really involved in environmental restoration. So I belong to a couple of community groups where we're trying to protect uh, old old remnant patches of lowland forest or um, waterways or marine areas. And one of the big threats to our remaining natural places is invasive species. Obviously, humans have come in and cleared the habitat. That's what's caused a lot of the extinction. But next, big waves from uh, introduced organisms and plants are a really big threat. Uh, garden jumping plants that you know hop the fence and go into our national parks or into our reserves and cause havoc and dominate all of our uh, endemic and our native uh, vegetation. So yeah, it's something I'm pretty heavily involved in. But as well as uh, sediment has been a big problem for uh, our community up here in uh, Auckland. You know, lots and lots of growth going on, development, uh, housing, lots of pressure and land activity you know you get sediment runoff goes into our streams goes into our marine area chokes out and chokes and smothers life so yeah that and forest forest collapse on top of all the water advocacy i've been involved with definitely keeps me busy (laughs) yeah um so it pains me to say this as an aussie but the possums they're a really big problem over there aren't they um you've been involved in the giant butter tree campaign can you tell us a little bit about that Oh, that was a really neat campaign. Um, we had great support for it. Some some buddies had uh, put in a bit of a shift to try and protect a tree that um, was only uh, rediscovered or discovered not so long ago. Uh, we're talking a really big tree, one and a half highway lanes wide. And this is a fascinating tree because it starts off life as a vine in the top of the canopy and grows a root trunk down to the forest floor and then we'll, we'll uh, choke out a tree over a thousand years or so and uh, provide it's a really important part of our lowland forest but possums just love them <laughs> so uh there's a there's not very many giant rata left or there's not very many rata left in general and uh yeah these ones are in serious trouble and uh ran a quick campaign and we've managed to get the wellington regional council to commit to doing an initial um aerial control to help particular forest but yeah it's ongoing which is what's needed i think uh you know people are gonna have to get creative with possum control and maybe uh you know <laughs> tag and release but release back in australia yeah. somehow so although well, that would be <laughs> Just... that would be a monumentous uh For, uh, it's a process wouldn't it yeah it's a i mean well when you're talking like 40 million possums and they've evolved over here they're different they're different in size and weight to the ones in australia we do have a mm. massive problem on our hands and yeah. being a vegan myself what do we do? Do we sit back and watch our forests collapse? Um, do we? Yeah, we can't. We know we can't do it by trapping. We would have solved it by now. And the bird life as well. Bird life, yeah. These forests are so important for climate, for you know, water purification, for so many things. And at the moment. It's not looking good across the whole of New Zealand. Yeah. Well, look, we're gonna we're definitely gonna get stuck into some uh, 
you know, some deep dives here with some of these topics. Now, I heard you present yeah. um, just over a month ago at uh, a presentation or a, a sort of a seminar called A Change of Heart. Uh, Dr. Mike uh, Joy was there talking about water, as we well know, a very popular guest on our show. We had Shane Ward, whom we've also interviewed a few episodes ago, talk about uh, regenerative uh, agriculture and, and soil quality and so on. But your presentation was, and I've said this before at the start, hugely impactful because it's visual. You know, it's one thing to put graphs up, it's talk statistics, um, you know, it, it's it's important, but yours was just visual. And, um, you know, a lot of people were left quite shocked because it's the kind of thing that's out of sight, out of mind. Now, for our listeners, yes, I've been very vague. What are we talking about? So let's get stuck in. Let's talk about winter crop grazing. Um, can you start off by telling our listeners, all, all of us, is what is winter crop grazing? What's the process? W what entails? What, what, what's it all about? Yeah, so what we've been campaigning um, against is the intensive part of winter crop grazing. So, and, and that just means you've got these bad effects. So what what happens really what's happened in new zealand is that we've maximized the um our animals on our landscape and for dairy uh, this means that in the winter time on our milking pastures if we kept the huge amounts of animals close to the milking sheds or where we uh, have that nice grass for them they destroy it, they pug it up, turn to mud. So a solution is to put them in trucks and take them to another part of the country that's, um, yeah, for uh, where there's been big crops planted and they'll be uh, grazed throughout the winter. These Usually these are pregnant mothers, they give birth uh, on these big intensive winter grazing crops and uh, afterwards they get taken back to the farm that they came from and they're usually in a better condition because they've had a really rich diet. So it's not just dairy. We're also talking um, sheep and beef, deer, all animals are going through this because we've reached such a, a high, a high amount of numbers of animals. So the crops they moved, they moved to for the, the intensive crop grazing, those are crops grown specifically for that. Yeah. So yeah. they'll, uh, we'll, grow uh, fodder beets or kale or rich monoculture um, and then the animals are they, when they put on the crop they're given like a meter or so a day until they transition into this new diet and then they'll be given you know up to five meters a day and they'll be strip grazed so the electric fence gets moved every five meters throughout the winter um, what this what this causes if it rains a massive amount of mud you know you've got 300 500 animals on the paddock or you know up to 2,000 animals on a big area and you just have huge deep pugging I've seen cows up to the udders in mud um, calves all the time dying in the mud because they can't stand up and walk the animal welfare issues are so so bad uh, there's nowhere for these animals to lie down and rest uh, it's the winter time and parts of the country it's so cold so brutal and this is in south and in otago alone you know we're, we're talking up to two million um, animals and you mentioned the animal cruelty aspect of it i've seen some of the footage and it really is quite confronting and horrific um is this legal uh yep there's nothing to really stop it <laughs> yeah yeah 
So it's part. It's, so it's part of the process. It's um, it, we, we, okay. So when we say it's, it's legal, I mean it's the system. So the farming system. It's for them. It's deemed as as you know. It's compliant. But what about yep. the animal welfare organisations like Safe, SPCA, you mm-hmm. know, all those? You know, how do they see? I mean, is that legislative? You know, that it's it's there's nothing wrong with that. Part of the process. Well, no, there's a, there's an animal welfare code in this country, and mm. uh, this practice breaches it. So, yeah. um, what what happened with our campaign that we ran last year in 2019? We really, you know, I, I was coming from this from an environmental aspect, because it's not just the cows that are or the animals that are being put through this; it's our rivers, mm-hmm. all the sediment pollution, herbicides, insecticides, you know, fertilizer, everything, and nitrates. It's all ending up in our rivers, into our lakes, into our estuaries, and then going into our groundwater, um, which is affecting drinking supply, and it's going into our ocean where we really don't know the effects that are happening there. So, but the more and more you dive into it, the more you can see the animal welfare issues are just as, just as bad. And um, to try and um, get the general public behind the environment is quite hard. So you go the animal welfare issue, don't you? And the, which is a good place to start. And so our 2019 campaign, we really focused on the animal welfare issue. Um, and uh, a result of our campaigning, we forced Damien O'Connor, which is the minister minister for agriculture and um, primary industries, to set up a task force to address these animal welfare issues. So, you know, it looks like a bit of project and uh, sorry, it looks like a bit of um, progress. Uh, this task force set up a bunch of recommendations to you know our ministry for primary industries and to try and help pull the industry in. But you know, we've really we've seen no change. And yeah, I think. They think they can prosecute their way out of this mess, but we need um, real solutions to, you know, multiple tools to achieve uh, big change. And and you've been very clear before that you're not kind of calling out individual farmers. It's a systemic kind of problem. Our um, systems, the, our farmers are locked into a system which uh, is, you know, is really hard to change. Basically, we're capital gains farming. That's the way I see it. Um, you know, a couple of generations ago, old mate, great-grandfather buys up a bit of land, drains a couple of wetlands, cuts down a bit of bush, puts up a few fences, and whammo chucks in his animals, and there you go. And and then, you know, he retired and sold the farm to his son, who, you know, took out a mortgage and and to service his loan. He, you know, he's put in a few more animals and drained a few more of the wetlands and cut down a bit more bush and you know then the next generation comes in and yep he buys the farm off his old man and has a big loan and Mm. you know puts down the puts in some irrigators sucks some water out of the rivers and cuts down the rest of the bush and drains the last of the wetlands and puts more animals and then you know then the next generation comes along and and it's it's something you hear from the farming community a lot, like we've always done it this way, you know, and they have, they've, it's always been a model that's built on intensification and getting, you know, putting mother nature to work, you know, putting more and more fertilizer on and just expecting to be able to keep going that way. I mean, we've maxed, we've maxed out the capacity of our landscape. Now we, our environmental, the pressures are so much now that they're affecting human health. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
like I, I know that farming is a big contributor to the economy in New Zealand, but I've heard you say before that you can't uh, pollute your way to prosperity. And it really is, you know, trashing the clean, green um, tourism image. One of the major draw cards for going to New Zealand, apart from, you know, Lord of the Rings and Hobbits, <laughs> is to get yeah. out in the great outdoors and see the beauty of the country. And that's really being affected by this system, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, and I will um, add to that is that when people think of uh, water quality and pollution and you know sediment and stuff, we just instantly go for oh yeah, animal agriculture like milk and dairy and beef. But the the horticulture industry is so much to blame, you know, and they get a free pass. And and I want to hear the discussion being had a lot more around intensive horticulture because as people switch over to a plant based diet, it's not just about cutting these certain things out of your your diet and, and eat veggies or whatever. There's still these massive monocrops of Absolutely. onions dumping nitrates and, you know, they, the amount of sediment, phosphate, uh, continuous tilling and turning of the soil and just losing carbon and just thrashing the structure of the soil and allowing the topsoil to be lost to wind erosion and you name it, like, uh, horticulture is not perfect. <laughs> Yeah, you raise a very valid point there. You know, it's we get so tunnel vision about what we perceive as one issue. And we think that anything else is better than that one issue. But as we've seen in history with a lot of other things is you, we might think, okay, we've won this battle. We've alleviated this problem. And then at the same time, we're creating a whole new problem. And, you know, in many cases, sometimes it's an even bigger problem. So, you know, like you say, monocultures and, and, and so on is, is a generic issue and it's not just restricted to livestock. Um, you know, so the way we, we, we look after our soil, um, so soil quality um, and obviously the impacts of deforestation, desert, desertication, is that even a word? Or the, the growing <laughs> amounts of deserts, um, all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's, that's really what the bigger picture is. So, you know, if we're solving mm -hmm. one problem, we can't create a new problem or exacerbate an existing problem into becoming the bigger problem. Yeah, totally. And the thing that frustrates me a lot is that we know that if you reduce, this is, you know, in most cases, if you reduce the amount of animals that you're farming, uh, you also reduce the amount of uh, inputs to the land. So the less fertilizer, less water. There's a whole lot of costs that go down as well. And you might not be producing the same amount of um, produce or milk, so the Australian banks aren't too happy. <laughs> but the you know there's actually more profit to be made for the farmer in a lot of cases, and this is a system that's that's changed. But the banks sort of won't allow, allow the farmers to move on. I mean that's that's mm. in some cases a concept of that whole regenerative agriculture um, concept where you're having various forms of crops whether you include livestock or not i mean that's for a different debate but you know it's variety um and that's really where right. the solution is is in how you mix that up well that's that's up for debate but you know that's really the way forward it's yeah i mean there's some really positive stuff happening in the country and it, it, it mm. does give me a lot of hope um seeing farmers changing their yeah. pastoral systems over to regenerative and uh, but does still see like they still won't come out publicly and say it 
so much what's going on. I think there's a lot more than what's being publicised, and that's due to Fonterra and Dairy New Zealand and the fur companies just putting so much pressure on the on the on these rural communities to continue with their system. You know, they they stop picking up organic milk at the gates. So like, so so in your so in your experience, you're seeing a lot more positive change than we're actually seeing. So like we so don't see a lot of the negative impacts. We're actually also not seeing as much of the positive change that's happening unfortunately well I, you know in saying that i'm seeing positive change but we're still going backwards at an alarming yeah. rate it's yeah. not like we're yeah. um yeah. we're making any ground well that was going to be my leading question i mean you know and that's that's where i find myself constantly questioning in a good way but the concept of regenerative farming because the concept makes sense but where we are now today in 2020 and the state of our planet, the state of our rivers, the soils, etc., is that enough? Or do we need to go to the other extreme to undo all the harm we've done for the last 60, 80, 100 years? Well, it so, depends what kind of a country, a planet we want to live on, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that answers that. Like yeah. We need to do something fast. And So one thing I did want to touch on a little bit is, um, you know, when we talk about crops standing there specifically for livestock we know that livestock numbers continue to increase as demand for meat increases demand for dairy increases demand for exports increases what's the rate of deforestation in new zealand that's something well, we don't seem to talk about here does it still happen oh totally yeah um we've only got about 15 percent left of our uh, uh forest cover so we've lost a lot and you don't see deforestation happening on a grand scale, but that's because we've already done that. Mm. Although um, I see it and drive around the country, you definitely see it. And it's just bit by bit, you know, death by a thousand cuts, we're still going downhill. We're still removing large amounts of scrubland just to intensify our um, sheep and beef industry. We're still spraying off all, you know, manuka and, setting fire to it and burning it uh, bulldozing it and yeah draining wetlands that's a big one so what parts of uh, new zealand i mean is it a typical sort of dairy country so it's happening in southland otago canterbury plains waikato manawatu i mean is is that where this is continuing draining of wetlands yeah, hill country, and... I, can, I got a, a classic example i can flick it, chuck some video through of um I think six or eight hundred hectares worth of native bush regenerating. Um, some really good uh, stands of podocarp in there coming through, and yeah, the the uh, fourth generation farm sheep and beef farmer. He he actually said to me on the side of the road, but I bailed him up about it. He said, "No, this is what we've always done," and he'd sprayed, burnt, bulldozed about yeah about six hundred or might even been eight hundred hectares of native bush. So it's Wow. Pretty alarming from the sky, like the scale of it. <laughs> Puts us right back up there with Indonesia. We don't look any better. Yeah. No, that's that's shocking. That's, uh, you know, and I asked that because, you know, we had some horrifying figures that came out of, um, I guess, with when we spoke about deforestation in Queensland alone. Um, what was it, Emma? About 1,100 hectares a day or something to that effect? Oh, it's a or... massive amount. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of it's in the Great Barrier Reef catchment. So, yeah, disastrous effects. Yeah. Yeah. So, runoff, yeah. you know, so we sort of, after that episode, we were, you know, because we were saying, why are we always up in arms with what's happening in Indonesia or, Amazon, or the Amazon? And yet it's happening in Australia. But now the question is, well, is it still happening in New Zealand? Well, the answer is yes, just to a lesser extent, because. <laughs> 
with just a smaller land mass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and one thing that we, we sort of owe our, or you could call it our prosperity to, is the fact that we've got really good soil in New Zealand. And that soil has come from millions of years of forest in, in these lowland parts. So predominantly New Zealand was covered with kaikatea forest. Uh, these are an amazing native tree. They can uh, hold oxygen to the very tips of their roots, which allows them to be submerged underwater, you know, for long periods of time. So you end up having these huge, big swamps with trees that are 60 plus meters tall. And um, yeah, they can be flooded completely. And what the, the European did when they came over here, or we came over here, was just cut them all down and drain all of these big swampy peaks peat swamps and now we've got dairy farms all over them so we, we owe it to our kaihikatea forests yet in the north island you can't find a lowland functioning kaihikatea forest there's, there's a good one down in the south island Ocarito, but it's on very uh, porous alluvial sort of stones um, so you don't have that rich soil um, but it's something that we ought to put back, I think, and, you know, take a thousand years to restore a forest like that. So it would take quite a bit of work, but it would be hard to buy up a few dairy farms and uh, stop draining them and, yeah, put back our kaihikatea forest. Basically what happened, we cut down these trees for butter boxes. The, the timber um, didn't really give off much of a taste. So we milled it up and, and put butter in it and exported it, and then we ran out of trees. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, what we do best. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. let, let's, let's move on to our next topic. We've, we've touched on it, but let's talk about uh, fresh water because um, like soil, like a lot of things, it's, it's yeah. one of those things we take for granted. You know, it's there. We can drink from it, although that's now debatable. Um, especially in New Zealand, we know now that uh, at least seventy percent of our rivers are polluted. We know that at least forty percent of our lakes are polluted. Um, we know there's an effect on the oceans. Um, so, firstly, there's an organisation. It was it started off as a student-led campaign. Um, choose clean water. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was a really interesting campaign to be to be part of. Um, I came in as a photographer to do to take uh, pictures of the people we were going to be interviewing and writing up blogs on. Um, it soon turned into a video project where we uh, would meet meet a person, an individual, or a representative of a, a community group or hapu or iwi or a sports group or people that had a uh, you know connection to a certain waterway or a certain you know wetland or something or a lake and uh yeah we told the stories which was it was really neat we did i think 25 or 26 videos in 28 days covered both islands it was it was quite uh it's quite intense <laughs> and you were really but, successful at reframing the way people kind of perceive this issue yeah i mean up until then um like the discussion around water was a sort of, it was, you know, it was really technical conversation um, about, you know, numbers and nitrate levels. And, you know, it was like a science debate, but this campaign was neat because we um, changed that to one about values and, you know, real people. And we focused on individuals and they spoke about the wider truths about, you know, what we all, you know, what we all value. 
and with you know healthy waterways healthy environment and this meant that the politicians had to respond to real people and couldn't just sort of control the messaging through their you know facts and numbers and yeah it was great because nick smith who was the you know politician at, at fronting the water stuff is he couldn't hide behind that technical language yeah and and, and i guess it forced him and the government at the time to reveal their total lack of care for um, what was important to the whole country. It made um, him and his party pretty unpopular. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of achieved your purpose a little bit there. Yeah, I mean, it led to, I wouldn't say it was just our the Choose Clean Water campaign, but, um, you know, there was, there's, there was a lot starting off pre-2017 election and... Yeah, water was like number two, I think, which is pretty unheard of for an, an environmental issue being right up there for the election. And then with the 2020 election this year, we've, you know, the water's right back up there. It's a hot topic. Mm. Although, again, when you say a hot topic, hot debate as well, because where we seem to be focusing is, is uh, you know, the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff approach, um, you know, cleaning up rivers and pumping a lot of money into that rather than focusing on, well, how about we stop polluting in the first place? So Exactly. That's... You know, the government, the last government reformed the freshwater policy, and, yeah, it's pretty weak. <laughs> There's a cap on synthetic nitrate fertiliser, but some, in some areas the cap's higher than what they use anyway, so it's not really going to help anything. And let's be realistic. To get that kind of change is not going to happen in a, in a in a long while because it's a massive contributor to our economy. You know what the cause of the pollution is what's contributing to our economy in some some sense. You know the mm-hmm. exports of of dairy, the exports of beef and lamb. So, you know, are we going to wait till the damage is all done and then these then then for drastic measures? I mean, is that is that yeah, the way well, you I mean, foresee it? All that money. Really. All the money that we'd make through the, our economy is the price, if not more, what it would cost to try and reverse the situation we're in. So it's a big trade-off. And and when you when when you tell people about the issue and you know they understand the detail of it, no one's for it. No one wants to see how trade make a trade-off like that. Well, unless you're on the on the receiving end of the money. With with all these um sort of this exposure that you create and and awareness that that you know you, you you present we what do you see as the way forward um you know we we know there's a lot of issues facing us at the moment um from environmental issues um but what do you see over the next immediate sort of three to five years where do you the way we're trending right now in new zealand do you think there's there's going to be some positives well yeah you, you i mean at the moment yeah it's def, it's fair to say that things are dire um, they're not improving. We're seeing it get, getting worse. Um, but, yeah, to see an improvement, we have to see the agriculture industry and the horticulture industry pulled right back in. Um, we need our regional councils to start enforcing the Resource Management Act and taking proper uh, t- taking proper action on the urban infrastructure too you know these these um cities have got pretty bad infrastructure and they pollute the uh, it's about one percent of the water waterways that flow through our country mm. agriculture's 
you know, 40% or 50% or something like that. I don't know the exact numbers, but, you know, we need to see action from our regional councils and the greenwashing. There's so much greenwashing going on that people seem to think that things are getting better. There's all this tree planting and we're restoring waterways and country calendar. And I don't, it's not helping the situation. Um, yeah. as this intensification still continues it's just like every little small little wetland drained and more irrigators going up and you can see it you only have to just drive around the country and know what you're looking for so yeah things haven't stopped and um we what we need to see is um action taken from our leaders um they farmers are in serious trouble financially um people are changing what they're eating and they're in massive amounts of debt and pressure and the regional councils you know they think they're doing them a favor but favor by unregulating like allowing their industry to go along unregulated you know not putting a cap on these fertilizers and um you know giving them a free ride but it's actually destroying their industry because people are waking up and it's taking away their social license to operate so yeah i guess the future for it future for water if we want to see something um, positive is we need strong leadership and people need to demand strong leadership from our so-called leaders so this year we focused on uh, landcorp pamu these are our farms so the government you know has a we have about two hundred thousand hectares of public land that's farmed and they do a lot of intensive winter grazing some of the worst intensive winter grazing animal welfare and environmental farms issues that i've seen are on our farms and it's <laughs> it makes me quite sick really so and also landcorp pamu they've done their own modeling to show that it's more profitable to exit this type of practice yet they won't so it just you know this is a this is the you know, publicly owned farms. They ought to be setting the um, setting a precedent and leading by example for how we use land. You know what we transition into instead of just being so old school and you know whatever goes on behind scenes. We're not seeing any change. So yeah, I'd like to see stronger leadership. So you mentioned there that um, we need to be putting more pressure on our councils and our politicians. What can an individual do? Would you just recommend that they lobby their councils more often? Should they get involved in grassroots organisations? Like, what's the best way forward for an individual that actually wants to contribute to making positive changes? Well, I guess everyone's got different skills, but we we do have a voice. And, you, you know, you can use your vote or you can put in submissions and you can write letters and try and keep these things going. But we always say, you know, if we change the demand then that could lead to change. So changing what we eat. Oh, that's, that's totally. But as, like, as far as what can the individual do to, I think, yeah, writing to, you know, writing to your local MP, writing letters into the newspapers, as well as changing what you, you know, eat or you spend your, contribute your dollar towards. I think those, yeah, they're all good things and it's just little steps, little steps and trying to get everyone on board. Yeah. And do you see a role for social media? Like you're very um, effective at, um, you know, letting the world see what's happening through your Instagram and YouTube and whatnot. Do you encourage more people to jump on social media and get a bit more vocal? Yeah, it's massive. Eh? You can definitely see the effects. Yeah, putting stuff out there. Or just, uh, you know, taking photos yourself. If you see something that's not quite right, why not just 
take a lazy snap, chuck it up online, <laughs> get some discussion going. The only thing that's ever that's ever created change is you know people talking about these and it snowballs into bigger and better things. So yeah, I'm all for it. <laughs> so Jeff, um, future projects. What are you working on at the moment? What are plans for the future? Well, I've seen uh, you know the little bit of effort that I've put in over the years to have quite a big impact so it's it's quite positive what just a few people can achieve and what I'm sort of working towards is um yeah we're looking for benefactors looking for a bit of funding so that I can instead of just being uh myself uh trying to be a one-man band you know managing video and media and social media and and all of that but sort of try and grow a little bit of a crew so yeah, if, if, if anyone out there knows anyone that might have the means to help support uh, yeah, publicising these issues at a, a bigger, better level, we're, we're looking to try and get a, a videographer, some storyteller to help sort of take the pressure off me so I can be a bit more creative and um, get, get, get a bit deeper into these issues as well as um, getting someone uh, maybe part-time or full-time to do you know a lot of research and um, communications to yeah, help really be effective with the messaging that we're trying to get through yeah and and you've got a patreon don't you we'll link that in the show notes but um where can (laughs) people find out more yeah i mean patreon is an email if you want to get in touch go ahead no amazing no jeff thank you so much um you know it's 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 really good to have a raw and honest uh appraisal of um you know you represent yourself so you know you're gonna say how it is and 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 that's what we need we need more of that so you know the content that you create is exactly that there's nothing edited it's not nothing superimposed it's it's exactly how things are it's just you get to see it that or see things that most of us don't um and it's Mm -hmm. and and it's important to share that so Look, thank you so much for coming on to the show, sharing some of your insights, some of your thoughts. You know, we're not always going to be rosy and happy and yay, you know, uh, things are looking amazing. No, that's the whole point of this podcast is to raise awareness and and make us realize that we need to take action and we need to start, as we say, inciting change. And, and it's got to start off by awareness um, and then actually that's getting right. involved in whatever way we can. So thank you so much, Jeff. No worries. I think you've summed it up quite well there. Thanks for um, having me on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks for your time. And everyone, please do check out the visual content that Jeff produces. It really kind of helps drive the message home. Yeah. And uh, we will put some of that stuff up on our social media as well and link it back to Jeff. So, yeah, take a look. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Lentil Intervention Podcast. If you found this interesting, make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends. 